friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, July 22nd. This is episode 47 with John Thatcher Longley. Now, for years, John Thatcher Longley's played drums with me. And in 2009, on This Gigantic Robot Kills, I wrote a song called 35 Laurel Drive about his messy house. So every time we used to play a show and every time we do play shows, people come up to John and say, yo, John, clean up your house. He's like, ha ha. He's a very good sport about it. But that song was kind of maybe not the nicest thing to do, but we kind of clear the air on this episode. He talks about the house, why it was messy. We talk about our friendship. We talk about our early tours together. We talk about what he's doing now, Warp Tour, a lot of great stories. So John's one of my favorite people. He's one of my groomsmen in my wedding last year, and we played with Big D and the Kids Table in Boston recently. And then we played the Atlantic City Warp Tour dates. So we got the band together, learned the old songs. It was fun. I love John to death. He lives in Tampa, St. Pete area of Florida. And he flew up for both of those shows. So shout out to John. I got a new song coming out on Patreon this week. It's about Mad Magazine, rest in peace to a cultural institution. So be sure to subscribe on Patreon if you haven't already. And this week's episode is brought to you by some of our old Patreon supporters, William, Gianna, and Phil. Some of our new ones, Ben, Caitlin, and Bob Nielsen, my dad. He's supporting me on Patreon. Thanks, dad. That's sweet. So this week I am, I've had some time off between tours and recording, and I'm writing songs about the California gold rush. So I spent some time in Northern California looking at some of the famous places of the top part of the state that a lot of people don't go to. I mean, the main places in California that most people explore are LA, the Bay Area, and sometimes the Central Coast, where my family moved when I was in middle school. So I went up the coast, and I want to tell you about my trip because it was kind of exciting and epic. So I started, I drove up, I went to Mendocino, and I biked on this bike trail called the Big River Trail, which is dope which is kind of like this 12-mile round-trip road along this river. And they used to log trees and bring them out on these ships that would come up the river. But now it's just like a really cool bike path. So I'd always wanted to do that because I saw that last year. And I was like, oh, that'd be a cool place to see. So I went there. Then I drove up the coast. I stayed in Humboldt County in a town called Scotia at an Airbnb. And this town used to be owned by Pacific Lumber. And then after the recession in 2008, Pacific Lumber kind of dismantled and now the houses are owned privately, but it's one of the last company towns in the country. And it's funny that earlier this summer, I was in uh, Jim Thorpe, another former company town, like a mining town. So it's interesting to see the two East Coast and West Coast versions of the company towns. The next day, I drove up through uh, Eureka and Arcata and had lunch and walked around. I love that place. It was beautiful in the summer. There was a President McKinley statue in the Arcata Plaza that was taken down because of his, you could say, racist... Uh, approach to native treating native americans which you know people the history is heavy so arcade is a very progressive place so they took it down which you know i'm in support of positive historical legacy like that also because mckinley was president when hawaii was annexed and they say he was insensitive to the native people of hawaii so they tore the statue down so i'd never been up there and seen the plaza without the statue i drove up to crescent city and i was going to go to this aquarium called ocean world but it was like an hour wait for the tour. It was like 20 bucks. I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't need to wait to see like old fish. Maybe I should have stayed, but I went on YouTube and <laughs> watched the tour. I went to a pawn shop across the street and seeing if they had any old guitars or anything. And it was like guns, old CDs. I was like, all right, this is the state of Jefferson, which a lot of people might not know. Like people in Northern California are kind of 
politically conservative. They're kind of libertarian. So they have there's this movement to annex the top of California to make it the state of Jefferson, which is interesting. Um, I drove across a state in a place called Happy Camp at this Airbnb on a river. That was cool. I was swimming around with the trout, hanging out there. And then I drove, the next day I drove up through uh, Trinity, which is part of the Shasta Trinity wilderness. And I went to a pizza place. They let me use their phone because there was no cell phone service, but there was a giant flag that said State of Jefferson. And I was like, oh, well, we're here. I'm here in this fabled part of California that people don't spend much time. But the most exciting part of the journey was driving down Highway 96, which is also called the Bigfoot Highway, which is where most of the Bigfoot sightings in Northern California have been. I saw this video of this guy's on a church retreat trip, and he and his uh, campers see this silhouette in the mountains that looks like Bigfoot, and they see like a camp that they think Bigfoot made. So I asked this woman at a coffee shop that was on Highway 96 if she'd ever seen Bigfoot or heard of anyone who had, and she said she had friends who thought they'd seen Bigfoot, and she'd seen like branches broken off very high, which apparently the Sasquatch does to build his little shed. So it was interesting to drive through this area. I came down, stayed in Trinity, drove up over to Mount Shasta, spent night in Tahoe, then came down the Gold Rush Trail through this town called Jackson, an old gold rush town, and then I came back to the Central Coast. So it was like 1,500 miles, but I drove and hiked and biked and swam and learned a lot about California history. So I'm ready to make this album. So that was my epic trip. I love that part of the state because it's beautiful. It's I stopped in this uh, area called Hat Creek where the, these firemen were having like this community barbecue, and I went to check that out. You know, it's just friendly, kind people. And it's removed from the rest of California, removed from the rest of the world. But listening to music, driving, thinking, writing, it's good. That's what summer's good for. So this weekend, any of you who are on the East Coast near Philadelphia or Jersey, New York, I'm playing this Comic Con with Mega Rand called New Jersey Gamer Con in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's Saturday, July 27th. Be sure to check that out. As for now, this is my interview with the legendary drummer, awesome friend, John Thatcher Longley on the MC Lars podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with John Thatcher Longley of multiple bands, multiple projects, career musician, who's branched off into other stuff, but he's still, you can find him on the road often, lives down in Florida, and we got stories. What's up, John? What's up, man? Where are we right now? We are in my parents' house in Short Hills, New Jersey. You grew up in Jersey, right? I did grow up in Jersey and uh, until I was 26. Did you grow up in Short Hills, or did you... You moved here in the 90s? Like, I heard you talking to Mike about that. Yeah, I've always been in this area of northern New Jersey. So, yeah. How would you typify northern New Jersey versus southern New Jersey? How are they different? <laughs> um, you know, NorCal and South Cal for right. you. You right. know, it's just a different breed of people, different style of living, different geographics. You know, it's farmland up in... A lot of south is like Pine Barren farmland, trailer parks, and just, you know, up north it's more city living and greasier people that just want their information quick. Well, northern, yeah, northern Jersey is greater New York, and southern Jersey is like greater Philadelphia sure. in a lot of ways. Sure. Which is interesting. Do you regret 
like you miss Jersey? Are you glad you live in Florida now or would you ever come back here? The music scene growing up here, like in hindsight, was was incredible. And I was for I'm 33 now. So I was fortunate enough to get a couple years of like the fallout of a great music scene, which, you know, obviously shifted the path of my life. So Right. I love it in that regard in that there was there was so much opportunity here musically, you know, but and and I was I live in a very nice suburban area, you know, there I, there's nothing to complain about. There's a, in the Short Hills Mall, isn't it like one of the most fancy malls in the world? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was in Phoenix walking through the airport and I saw a big light up like billboard display saying the short hills mall and when i say i'm from short hills if anybody's ever heard of it it's because of that mall but am i glad that i left florida to answer or left new jersey to answer your question absolutely right i was literally just talking to somebody about this i think that you have to move out of where you grew up at least experience like if not an uh you know just reality just something else you know, like moving out of where you grew up is very important, I think. And there's that quote in the Bible, no man is a prophet in his hometown, right? Yeah. It would to be like, to have stories and to have a life that is surprising, you have to leave. And you can always come home. But like you and I, we were talking today, we've probably played 500 shows together at least. I haven't played more shows with anybody else hey you know we've we've definitely played close if not more than 500 shows together and you you're permanently changed by that aren't you all our stories all the countries (laughs) we've been to and all the all the different types of venues we played and you know you you come from a punk rock background you told me you used to promote shows like at your church yeah man like uh so nobody wanted to book our my band when i was you know 12 13 years old <laughs> except for we played one show and it was at a country club like a really upscale country club yeah. on their the balcony of like a pool you know lookout and oh. it was older families and like you know people that were just done playing 18 holes of golf nobody wanted to hear it it was terrible <laughs> and what was the band the band was called line 50 and what would you say is the genre, was the genre? It was covers. Okay. It was like Bush Machine Head, <laughs> Lit My Own Worst Enemy, uh-huh. um, rock. Harvey Danger, Flagpole Sitta. Are you drummed? Yeah, man. It yeah. Was, I had this little beat up Tama kit, you know, this new to me, like my first big size drum set. How old were you? 12. Oh my gosh. You yeah. started young. Yeah, man. It was cool. Why drums as opposed to bass or guitar or keys or? <laughs> Honestly, I started with piano. When I was younger, my dad, my mom and dad wanted me to play an instrument, you know, from a really early age. Yeah. You know, my mom played flute, so um, I hated piano. I remember the the teacher was like this guy in this shady apartment a couple of towns over, and my dad would, you know, go in. It was a nice apartment. It was just like. You know, I didn't want to be there. I didn't right. want to sight read, you know, row, row, row your boat. <laughs> you know, like, I was playing hockey at the time. I was interested in, I was just kind of, I don't know, a, a more alpha 
personality back then and I didn't have the patience. It's funny how a lot of career musicians are people who were like their parents told them to play one thing or they were kind of like encouraged to do one thing and they found their own calling. So what was your first experience sitting down with drums? With drums, you know, with it's crazy. It's two parts because in the early 90s, I must have been like six, seven years old, maybe yeah. five or six, five to seven. My uh, One of our Christmas presents, my brothers and I, was a guitar, you know, like my first guitar starter pack, uh-huh. a bass starter pack, and a little like tin drum set, you know, but it was like a drum set, you know, it had right. like two drums. But we went up, I remember we were upstairs and we, and do you remember a show called Denver the Lost Dinosaur? And no, I, I it was don't. just like old school kind of like Nickelodeon or something or what? I don't know, something like that. But anyway, yeah. the the theme song, we tried to figure it out and you know, we finally like just were hitting a bunch of shit. It's on a decent <laughs> Your two brothers and you. Yeah. And they were, you know, like three I think Clifford was three, Andrew was five. Wow. And I was seven. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing, but we invited my parents in for like a little concert. So anyway, so that was my first experience playing drums. I just picked the drum thing because it looked fun, more fun than a guitar. Right. Bass, you know, well, it also seems like as the big brother, the odd man out. Right. So you're like, this is, this is the <laughs> yeah. non-string instrument. I let me I'll take one for the team. That yeah. Off, right. Yeah. It was like, you know, it's a lot easier to make a drums sound somewhat you know passable rather than just open strumming right you know amplified right. <laughs> so, uh so anyway but I, I i didn't really think much of it like i didn't fall in love with needing to play the drums back then you know right. it wasn't until 1996 when that thing you do came out mm. remember that movie yeah it was the tom hanks uh starred in his first directed role about that 60s band with the drummer who wore the sunglasses all the time. And like he was just like this, you know, late 60s, like cool drummer, you know. And the Fountains of Wayne guy wrote the theme songs. Mm-hmm. The yeah. guys from Fountains, or yeah, absolutely. All of them, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it was uh, the music and the song, it was just so like catchy to me. And, and you're he like, he's a cool so dude. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. like, oh my gosh, dude. Is that a, like, look at all these people just screaming for this kid. Like, right. These beautiful, beautiful women, right? Yeah. Love the drummer. <laughs> so I remember that from that, that first little drum set years before, it also came with a VHS that, you know, obviously we just, threw it somewhere but i found the vhs somewhere and it was like teach yourself drums Ooh. or teach your kid drums right and i i remember excuse me I, w- I went into uh the kitchen and i grabbed two um sh- like kebab sticks and i was hitting them on the table trying to follow along with this vhs oh. wearing sunglasses <laughs> 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 right so years later where i'm in middle school right uh-huh and I've kept the passion alive, you know. It, it was always like a thing where I wanted to to figure out how to play drums, and slowly I was learning, getting better and better. And I was taking lessons and and blah blah blah. But uh, I didn't like fully care enough to devote myself to it at that point. I loved hockey. I was a hockey player. Right. I loved playing hockey. And uh, I I remember I tried out. I wanted to play in the middle school band. 
I wanted to play snare drum because like we would do these assembly concerts and the band would perform. And I remember like being excited for it. I was like, oh, cool music, you know? Like, right. And I got to watch the line of drummers and like, you know, see all the quad guys and do it. And it was just like interesting to me. And then the jazz band would play and there was a drum set drummer. Yeah. You know, he's a kid, like a senior or something that, but he, he it was awesome. Right. I was just like, wow, like he's the focus of this entire show. Right. Right. Now. right. And that was really cool. So I tried out, I, I'd been taking lessons, you know, and I wasn't bad, dude. Like I was actually a decent drummer. Right. right? Like, but behind a drum set, like I remember going to lessons at 13, 14 years old and the teacher would go out for a cigarette, you know, and be like, all right, so just warm up around the kit, you know, and I would just start playing these killer like grooves that were just like ridiculous like and right. guys would come in and like other teachers would be like were you just playing that and i was like yeah and he was like that's weird man but i like it you know so i had this unique style of doing like this weird thing that turned into a post-hardcore kind of vibe but that's a different story <laughs> but uh yeah so i tried out for the band uh-huh. and there were already eight drummers eight snare drummers which was a lot because everybody wanted to play drums apparently that was in the band you know right so the teacher you know knowing that the teacher said no after i tried out he was like he's not you're not good enough yet you need to go practice and i knew that i had played it well you know Mm -hmm. like i sight read an entire piece that i like practiced for a good while and I thought I did it pretty well. Anyway, that deflated the hell out of me. You know, well, you've, you were in middle school. Middle school. Yeah, it's a fragile age. <laughs> yeah, it's a formative time. Holy, you know, so yeah. uh, I I told my dad and my mom, and they were you know ups, they were just a little upset for me, you know. But I told my teacher, my drum teacher, and he was like, "This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna practice this, play it again, march in there tomorrow morning, and play it for him." demand an audience and play it for him wow my dad came with me because he was like you know a concerned father yeah you know and he knew how like much i wanted it and i nailed it wow note for note like that it was perfect so had you auditioned or not yeah so i we marched back in there like yeah. i go in in the morning and he's in there like you know moving chairs around and stuff and i was like Hey, his name was Mr. Zarnecki. So I was like, can I audition for you, Mr. Zarnecki? Like, I really want this, you know. And I was kind of pissed, you know. I was like, yeah. you you dick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you little jerk off. I'm going to, like, nail this. he hadn't let you audition this. before. He you're did saying, let me, but he said. It's too, you have too. He m- said, you're not good enough. Oh, and then you, and then in 24 hours, you nailed it. It wasn't 24 hours. It was a couple days later, okay. you know, that I had another lesson. My yeah. drum teacher was like you're going to march in there, demand an audience. And, you know, right. we walked in and my dad was with me and like, I, he let me play it for him. And he's like, all right, he's in. Wow. You know, so, so wait, shout out to your drum teacher. Yeah. He what was, was his a, name? Joe. Uh, no, I forget his last name it was Joe. That's yeah. all I know. But he was a, he was a student of Joe Morello, which is a famous jazz drummer. So wow. that's cool. Yeah. Like a fusion new york city jazz drummer you know that's the cool thing i was talking on the podcast to my friend chris who went to nyu and he was in the jazz program and about how like 
New York and the areas around New York, there's a huge emphasis on technical ability, especially with jazz and stuff adjacent to that. And <coughs> yeah, jazz is, uh, it's, it re- in my opinion, on drums, it requires the most like patience, you know, and it really defines you as, as a musician because you have to be tasteful. Right. It's not, it's not about like how much you're doing or what you're doing necessarily as where you're doing it and what you're doing. Like dynamics, it shapes your dynamics. Mm-hmm. Most people are incredible drummers, right? But they can't bring it down. And it took me a long time to realize that too. But jazz really is, if you can play jazz, you're, that's why they're considered the top musicians. Right. Well, because then you also have to understand theory and time signature. <laughs> yeah, you have to understand every aspect of yeah. music in order to play jazz, you know. I remember one of uh, a very sweet memory was Warped 2015 when we were at the TEI tent and you were teaching drums to one of the kids. I remember that. That was pretty cool, man. Yeah. That was Backstage. really, really cool to uh, be able to do that, you know. You're a good drum teacher. <laughs> I never knew that until that point, but yeah. I remember you just came up to me and you were like, because I submitted my name for it, you know, being yeah. like, I think with Maylene and Andy, so I was trying to, you know, help out and, you know, uh, you just ran up to me and you were like, you have a drum lesson. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> You're like, yeah, now, come on, let's go. And like, you kind of like motioned me to wherever this corner of the festival. Right. There's this little kid and his mom. I was a little caught off guard, but it was it was awesome, dude. Because I was I felt natural doing it. Yeah, yeah. You're good, you're a good teacher, and a lot of like drumming. It seems like is a lot of listening, right? You really have to be a good listener. Yeah. As well as driving the song. I don't know. You have to like like you talked about dynamics. Listen to what people are doing and play off that a lot. Yeah, I mean it's. It's listening to what people are doing, but it's also providing more of a just a, be- a backdrop. Right. You know, you're you're painting the canvas background right. while the the vocalists usually or like whatever other instruments are really providing, you know, just pieces of the puzzle to yeah. showcase the singer. Right. That's how I think about it. Like, should I do this cool fill? You know, it'd be fun to play and like. But is it gonna be? Is it gonna work? There's that funny video of like. Sure, but no, don't do it. And it's it's patience. You know that YouTube video? It's like a it's like a band playing like a church function, and the drummer is just like spinning his sticks and like going all Tommy Lee, and the band is just like, and that's like not a subtle, tasteful drummer. No, that's not tasteful. (laughs) You can twirl your sticks. You are like you. I feel like you always hold back because a lot of the stuff we play is. Like you say, in the pocket, we often have backing tracks. Well, a lot of what I play is mirrored uh, from fake drums. Somebody being somebody programming sample drums. drums. Yeah, yeah and right. if you think about it, dude, like all the best, you know, all this new hip hop, you know, and things. Why do people sample drums? Because it's the same thing. It's almost like a loop throughout a lot of hip hop songs, sure, right? Sure. And that transposed is a really cool sound like when you just hear a drummer that's pocket playing exactly what a track would do right because you you can't really like go crazy with a 
track when you're programming drums. Like nobody's gonna really sit there and be like, you know, and like right, program that, you know. But a drummer sitting there would be like, oh, I'm gonna throw this in this tasty this little fill. lick, you know. Right. And it's just ridiculous. It works, but it's like, eh, you know, like why would you do that? So less right. is more to me. Yeah, and hip hop is based on that taking like the James Brown like sample right taking a funk record and just looping it forever and that's like hip-hop is about simplicity and so it's always fun playing with you because it's about layering on that and adding dynamics and of course me i come from a rock background as much as a hip-hop background and so that that's what's cool and like that's why i'm you know we're playing the show tomorrow and it's yep. like that record robot kills that honestly my starting and you know still doing my professional career in drums playing for you really shaped me as a drummer interesting you know because it, it, dude, that record specifically robot kills is a really good blend of like hip-hop beats with rock like undertones right you know so it's it's like the best of both worlds so learning how to play that stuff really taught me how to you know slowly i would eliminate things i remember eventually i was playing kick drum snare drum hi-hats right. <laughs> like that's it you have a very portable kit or at least on warp tour you would have like a kind of simpler kit playing hip-hop right <clears throat> yeah i just started taking things away and my mentality was like well it's not on the track so i i don't need to play it yeah you know right. like I don't need to be this super flashy like drummer. You know, all I need to do is play a beat over right. and over and over again. With the with the edits and with with like, like, you know, all these samples and whatever going on. Right. But I got to the point where I was I was like, okay, if I take the rack time away, that eliminates like most of my arsenal. Right. If I take the floor time away, that's like all of my arsenal so i'm forced to just work with what i have which right. is kick snare hat right right and i'm one trip from the van or bus in to the venue <laughs> right one trip true. man yeah you know like i might as well be a singer you, you can know just carry, <laughs> yeah it's very portable you can tour in a car oh gosh which yeah, you have dude. done with kosher dills a lot yeah, dude. I had this cool little pocket kit, which I'm spreading the word on. It's this Ludwig, like it's made. It's made by. It's the Questlove signature. Okay. And it, the idea behind it was a small kit that was portable enough for a like urban drummer, mm. you know, like city drummer who could throw the thing in a cab, you know, and go to the gig. Right. Right. Who could throw it in a small car, go to the gig. You could even walk with it, like on a subway. That's amazing, and <laughs> it's it's got a huge sound. So Kosha, who shout out to Kosha Dills, but he, um, you know, asked me to tour with him again, and it was in a minivan, and mm. I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> with a kit that's going to be miserable, right. you know, kit merch, you know, whatever else. So there I was, was like three of you, right? There was like a there was Israeli like a video woman. person, yeah, yeah, you know, like so I was, I was forced to find a way to do the tour with like no a trailer, small kit, yeah, in a minivan, and I searched and I found this breakbeats kit by Ludwig, 
And I was so skeptical. I had it shipped out to California. Mm -hmm. I flew out, you know, and like the day of the tour, I opened the box. You know, I'm like, I opened the mystery box to be like, oh gosh, I hope this worked. (laughs) Like, I hope I don't look like some clown just like hitting a tin can. Like your first kid. Yeah, like, (laughs) you know, I'm driving a smart car and I'm eight feet tall kind of look, you know, (laughs) and it was all right. I kind of like sat deep in the kit to make it look a little, you know, more, you know, evenly distributed look, but uh, we put mics on it at the first venue Uh and it sounded incredible. That's great. And I did the, I did two tours with that kit. It's amazing. And never once did I have to like really do anything to it there was like a maintenance free kit easy setup yeah one load in and out well it's like when you have less you you have to do more with what you have you have to be more creative right you think about okay how can i use what was it a snare a kick and a tom or a crash so the mod the small kit is a full kit Oh, oh, it's just small. Yeah. So it's a rack tom, a floor tom, a snare, a kick, hats, and a crash. Wow. So the cool thing about it is that, especially for hip hop, if you're a drummer battling a sample live, mm-hmm. these toms are so small that they have like a modular tom. So you hit it, it's like boom, doom, doom. Like you know, like this. Yeah, but it's yeah. almost like an electronic like 80 synth kind of like modular like sound to it and yeah. it cuts above the sample uh, and it sounds really tasteful right you know almost like a sampled tom that's cool so it's it, it was really cool but yeah less is more man yeah. honestly and i mean that's the point of all of this <laughs> so no, less right. is more and touring is you learn that 75% of touring is like most of your time you're traveling you're at the hotel you're sleeping it's like very infrequently like you're on stage right hotel if you're lucky hotel if you're lucky (laughs) right no totally five years in you can you deserve hotels you know like (laughs) yeah yeah, just five years in then you get a hotel and you don't want to like stay with fans because when you start out you stay with fans but then it becomes like your obligation to entertain them and talk to them it's it can be awkward or in the morning there's like a dynamic where someone's got to get up for work so you can't be sleeping and yeah i mean that's not fun it's not fun and i mean luckily for for myself i was kind of you know i i didn't owe these people anything like they weren't sure you know and like i was friendly to everybody yeah but the conditions sometimes were just like Oh gosh! Like I was kind of just there, and I felt bad for you most of the time because, like, when we used to stay with people. Yeah, and like you, you're the nicest guy in the world. So you want to, you know, when you meet when you meet up with your friends on the road, you obviously want you're tired as all hell, but yeah. you want to like fight it just because you're like, oh, I only see you once a year, whatever. Right, right. You know, so I, you know, but being a a puzzle piece to. You know, the mess at hand was not always the most fun. So staying with the fans was not fun, ultimately. Yeah, and unless it's like, but shout out to any fans we stayed with and not to say that it's like we don't appreciate it, but it's always been like. Well, let me interrupt you real quick. I can tell 
any one of these fans that they have a messy house after the song that you wrote about me, dude. And as many people as ever said, if you've said clean up your house to me online on social media, and I'm sure that's every one of you <laughs> who may or may not listen to this, but I can tell you in return that you have a messy house. So sh- to all the people that we stayed with, thank you. Right. But clean up your stuff, your, your shit, you know? <laughs> And I deserve to say that. Let's talk about that song. Because you were you had a house and you were 21. And that was like a very rare thing to have a musician friend with his own house in a nice part of Jersey. Yeah, it was uh awesome. It was and you it was awesome. And yeah. I don't know how I deserved it. I didn't deserve it at the time, but it was like, all right. So my dad, just let's are we doing the full like story about yeah, this? Yeah. People want right. to hear this, I'm sure. All right. I've been uh you know, all right, let's talk about it. So my dad bought a house that the idea was, okay, add a second story uh-huh. or do this big addition, you know, and then flip it down the road when the market got better and, you know, whatever. So I was a little troublemaker, you know, 20 years old, you know, playing in bands. And when I was home, I was probably just a burden, you know, <laughs> Like coming in at five, six in the morning, you know, with like 10 people in my parents' TV room, you know, it, it wasn't cool. So my dad, I asked my dad, I was like, can I live in the house until we like do the construction? Uh-huh. And he said, yes. He was like, yes, absolutely. I was like, whoa, really? Like, okay. Like beautiful house. What? So I went to this house and had you seen it i had not seen it <laughs> okay so i i know the area you know because i would drive through it but i went to the house for the first time and it was it was it was a house dude <laughs> like it was this house that looked like a rental house you know but uh-huh. it was nestled in the beginning of this gorgeous neighborhood like suburban neighborhood beautiful area like right near the train station in new york city Mm -hmm. you know just beautiful area like million dollar homes right you know right and our and the house my dad bought was you know the the house that you know was last in line on the block to get a a little makeover you know to be up to par so I had moved into this house, so I brought, like, my bed, my bed frame, you know, and a couple of things, right? Did it feel safe, like, the locks worked and stuff? Uh, a lot didn't work. Right. You know, and, like, the stove didn't work. The There was no phone. Like, it was outdated house from, like, the early 60s uh-huh. or whatever. And there was no internet. You know, we got internet eventually. But it, when I first moved in, I filled my bedroom with my things and like made right. it look somewhat presentable was and it I lonely was like, ever well, well i have filled my room and i walked out across the hall and i like kind of explored the house a little bit yeah and every other room was lonely and there was like 10 other rooms in the house right you know like there was it was a pretty decently big house right and uh so <laughs> i called joe you know, this kid Joe who toured with us a couple of times, and Joe who produced a lot of Lars attacks, and yeah, you know, we've talked about Joe live sound, know. but he he hasn't really come up on the podcast much. He did live sound on a few of the MC Chris tours. Yeah, now he does radio work in Tampa. 
Yeah, he's like one of the more talented people I've ever worked with. Very talented. You know? So, but Joe, who I've been friends with, he was in the uh, like one of my first live music experiences with me. You know, in those bands with me. Yeah, playing Bush Machine Head. Really? Know? Yeah. Yeah, he was just like this little Singer? lanky kid. No, bass player. Right. Um. But anyway, so I I would been friends with Joe forever. So yeah. I called him and I was like, "Yo, like this house is completely empty, man. You got to move in." <laughs> and Joe wasn't doing much. He was touring and like kind of bumming around as well. Was so. he a bed life or blue eyes then? I think yeah, or he had just gotten out. Uh-huh. Or no, this is before he was in the band. So Okay. I called him and I was like, "Yo, we got to uh you got to move in or whatever. He was in college, so he eventually left and moved in, right? after. And he was in the band. Yeah. And we were kind of, you know, living at our parents' house. And then we were like, all right, we got to do something about this house. It's, like, completely empty. We haven't even been staying there. It's, like, you know, dirty and whatever. So <laughs> uh, a couple of friends and I, it was they have this thing, like, a spring cleaning around here where you leave all your, like, old furniture and, like, you know garage sale dump you know at the curb and the city will come by and take it yeah so it happened to be this the night of like before the pickup okay so (laughs) we got this my buddy nick's dad's pickup truck and we went basically sifting through people's old furniture and we furnished the entire house With people's like lawn side garbage. What about the ping pong table? <laughs> oh yeah, we found a ping pong table that was like half destroyed, and we were like, "No, it'll work." And like, at that point, we were just drinking so much <laughs> beer, like, and having parties, and so that's why all the furniture was kind of shabby. There. It was garbage. Furniture. It was all garbage. What about the couch? Dude? The couch was from the side of the road too, and <laughs> well, like we just sprayed like a bunch of raccoons in on. it. <laughs> We just sprayed a bunch of Lysol on everything and hope, you know, we did, Joe did what he called like a thorough inspection. You know, we shined a flashlight and like, it was, it was fine. We didn't get like bed bugs or anything, but. (laughs) So you filled the house for free. We filled the house with people for free with people's like junk. And because the area was so nice, most of the stuff that people were like throwing out as secondhand stuff was really nice. Still, they just you know maybe replaced. You got it. even better stuff. Yeah, we got, yeah. So we got some decent like we had a lazy boy couch. Would you have a truck or did you just carry it down the street? No, <laughs> no, we had a pickup truck. So we were just like Nick's dad. Okay, my buddy Nick's dad had like this pickup. So we just like kind of took it and went dumpster diving basically <laughs> to furnish this house and this is all in the course of a night this is all in the course of one night and it was all getting picked up anyway uh, yeah right. so we didn't feel bad and like a couple of people saw us like looking through stuff and they right. didn't care they were like yeah all right you know if you want it there's some nice blah 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 over there right, you right. know like kind of being cool about it and we were just kids you know so we furnished the entire house with garbage basically that's why every time you would come over down the road, you know, like you saw garbage furniture right. that had turned to gar- even more garbage. So it was kind of like time to restock the house with with fresh garbage at that point. Right. But we just kind of <laughs> let it go. You know, like, like I said, we like sprayed away for breeze or some axe. Like, <laughs> you, know, no. you had like a nice TV. I, yeah, like the TV, I you took that out of my bedroom. Like everything that actually worked was 
from your house here? From my bedroom or Joe's bedroom. So did Joe? Moved. So what point did Joe start moving furniture in there? Joe was like there when he helped me uh, move into the place. What room did he get to pick? Uh, one of the many. One of the many. Yeah. We all right. right. So we had this room. All right. Here's the crazy thing: is that I had just started playing with you at that point. So right. now, and you were doing some really awesome 2006. Stuff. Yeah, you were yeah. doing like some really awesome tours and like good shows. So we were young, you know, right. you were young. I was even younger. And what am I, I had three years house. old than you? Four years older than you? Something? I'm 33 now. So, 36. So, yeah, so three years. Yeah. Four years maybe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was cool because it became this unsupervised, like cool hub for bands to come over and chill and stay the night you know like we had mayday parade you know we had bed right. for blue eyes we had you know a couple other trust skill bands and it was cool because like bands cool no like touring bands were coming by to my house they're like oh and a house no parents Great. pretty much yeah like and oh a driveway i could pull my rig into like perfect because know? hotels in new york new jersey are not cheap even crappy hotels if you're a touring band, nothing's cheap. Right. You know, like yeah. at that level. But it was a place that was pretty centralized, you know, from New York City. It's only 20 minutes outside of New York City. Right. You know, and then there's a bunch of venues in New Jersey. So a lot of cool bands would come and stay. So we had this one room that somebody did. Uh-huh. It was a, it was just a small carpeted like office, right? It was a mattress on the ground, like an old, thin, crappy mattress uh-huh. with like a big stain on it. You know, like a blue, like kind of mattress, right? Ugh. Yeah, like, like foam. Yeah, but like Not no, no more than like six inches thick, okay. right? So, right. and somebody had had these uh, like glitter letter stickers, uh-huh. like there was letters that would stick to <laughs> things, that, and it was like glitter, like red glitter, right? Somebody wrote drunk tank on the wall and like like glued these letters to the wallpaper. Right. And it beca- it kind of stuck. It was like this little room where if you were too, you know, drunk or whatever you were, you would just kind of I would just throw you in there and be like, mm, "You're bugging me, man. Like yeah. go to bed, buddy." You know, yeah, like yeah. or you're not driving home. Like right, go, sure. you know, so uh yeah, it was really cool, but Joe didn't, Joe never took that room. I wanted him to have that room because <laughs> it was like a bigger room. It was a small room. It was like oh. this little tank. But he, yeah, I remember that. But room. Joe got a Joe got a dope bedroom. <laughs> he got spoiled. Joe spoiled. So we would, I would stay there with you between tours. And I remember working on songs there, playing a lot of Mario Kart on the GameCube, listening to music, and it became this metaphor for the ennui I felt. But also the blessings I felt between the graduate and robot kills. So one time I found out your middle name was Thatcher. And I just thought John Thatcher Longley had like a musical cadence to it. And the fact that the house was dirty, it was funny. But I never really, we never really got to the bottom of it. Did it hurt your feelings? You feel like I was bullying you and taking advantage of your kindness? Or was it funny? Like, no, it was never something that like, 
that's not a cut deep joke, you know. Like, right. That would I think that only strengthened the bond between us, if anything, you know. Like I'm not I would never be pissed about that. I just want a chance to explain why the house was messy. Right. You know, because it's not like I was some like hoarder, you know, that had like banana peels and like mold around the house you know like there was moldy food maybe but <laughs> in the fridge. you know like the freshest thing when the freshest thing in the house is like a can of beer you know and you're 20 21 years old right with a house and like a bunch of your friends in these cool touring bands that you thought were awesome just getting drunk and like with reckless you know abandon and it's can you blame me? <laughs> uh, no, no, I wasn't. We were kids with a house and like, it yeah. was awesome. It was the fact that like, I remember going in the attic and just being like, I'd never, you know, I'd never had full reign of a basically empty house like that because you wouldn't care what we explored. And like the attic, I was like, wow, life is really what we make of it. And like, this is a house that is completely empty and it's full of potential, like our careers at the time or our lives. But also it was kind of depressing because it's like, this is what we make of it. And I remember once I was, Brendan from Weedis had sent me a lot of, we did a lot of sessions in Long Island like the summer before. I had this drive and I was on the table trying to like start editing stuff and the table <laughs> collapsed and the drive <laughs> fell off the freaking table and bounced on the floor and broke. And Brendan then would not send me more sessions because he felt I was kind of like sloppy. And also we were, it's a long story, but he and I were trying to figure out like, like the co-writer splits and we weren't seeing eye to eye and yeah. we worked that out. So it was like, but there, there goes the first version of the Robot Kills record. So I was writing more and I think I have that table to thank for that record because I was like, you know, it was, it was what you make of it. I should have put the drive on a more stable, you know, platform and gosh, but also it was like, you know we did get a lot done there and we were focused on rehearsing and we were gone so much too. Like we should mention that, like you weren't at that house a lot. We were on the road. So yeah. Much. No. And that was the cool thing is that, well, actually that kind of contributed to the downfall because nobody would live there for months at a time. And then we'd come back and we would clean it just enough to get by until the next story, you know, and then right. Just leave again, and oh uh, gosh! But it was also like you. I remember you'd have a lot of parties. You'd have a lot of people over. I remember one time, I was like passing. I had horrible kidney stones, and I wrote about this on the Digital Gangster album. And I remember once, the house was full of people, and the kidney stones were starting to pass. And oh, I was like gosh. lying on the floor in pain. And Rob goes, "What you want us to? You want us to take you to the hospital? What's going on?" And I was like, "I don't trust any of these people to take me to the hospital." I'm like, maybe if I go to the the tank upstairs i'll sleep it off and it wasn't until like a few months later i passed them but i remember like this is hell surrounded by loud rowdy people and rob was like oh it's just gas but meanwhile i was passing these kidney stones and oh my god yeah i mean <laughs> it was crazy i didn't have i i got used a lot i mean not really used because i i was friends with these people but they were friends with me for one reason the house. You know, because i had an empty house like i remember people would you know, come over to my house in the mornings when they told people they were going to work, you know, and they would just hang out all day long. Did you know? it feel annoying? No, I actually enjoyed the company a lot of the time because it was like, you know, you wake up and like if I wanted to roll a joint, I could, <laughs> you know, like anywhere in the house. You were party lifestyle. If you wanted to like drink beer with 30 of your 
you know, friends in the house, you could. Did people ever do harder drugs than weed at your house? There was one time that I can remember where I, somebody had like somebody drop off some weed, Mm -hmm. right? And this kid comes in and I had seen him like, you know, a couple of times around town and stuff. So I kind of was familiar with what his deal was and I knew he was shady. Right. You know, I just knew that he was like a shadier dude. Was he hanging or was he just dropping something off? I didn't know at that point. Uh-huh. So I had seen him come in and I just, I I didn't really acknowledge it. You know, I, he was just hanging out for a little bit, talking to somebody. I'd assume dropping off weed, you know, and he, he kind of disappeared. And I went upstairs and he and a couple other kids were in my bedroom breaking up lines of uh, cocaine. Ooh. So I kind of freaked out. That's not tight. Yeah. It, it just like, you know, and I did not know this kid, like, at all, basically. I freaked out. So I had a very strict policy of, like, at, that kind of broke the camel's back in terms of letting anyone and everyone into the house. Because you, you could have had, it could have become... Yeah, sketchier. Yeah, and like I just have a personal thing with that because I've lost so many friends to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like drugs are a huge, huge, huge problem. Hard right. drugs, right? You right. know, and I just didn't. I had a mentality and still do that. Like I'm just, I don't want it around me. Did you say you guys need to leave, or did you? Oh say- yeah, I got really pissed. Was it like, awkward? I'm sure. Yeah, it was really awkward. I was like screaming, drunk. I was drunk, you know, right, and like. Right. You know, these three kids I don't know are in my bedroom. Did stuff ever get jacked? Yeah, we had a couple uh, guitars go missing. That was really, really bad. Um, But other than that, I mean, like, besides the gear, the musical gear that we would store in the house, everything else was pretty much garbage. Right. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, right? It's like you were living for the experiences, and that's the beautiful thing about your 20s. And I always felt... Fortunate to have friends less like you, and specifically a friend like you who wanted to play drums with me, was willing to travel, and we had a place to crash. And you had your freaking van was that was dope. That like you were you'd let us rent and use your van, yeah. very discounted. Dude, well, here's the crazy thing is that I went to skate. I, all right, so the before I had the van, I had a Mazda six in like two thousand three. Right. Mm. And it's when they came out with this car and it was kind of like the cool car to have. Like it was a sleek looking, you know, like awesome looking car. Yeah. And I remember I, my parents bought it for me. My parents bought me a car. Wow. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. Right. You know, like I have one of the more awesome cars in high school parking lot right now. Right. So I went to skate and surf that festival with this girl who I was dating at the time, like my high school girlfriend that bled into the college years, right? So she was begging me to go to skate and surf. And luckily, I knew somebody in the Bayside camp. And they hooked it up with two tickets for the the three days of skate and surf. Mm. She was going to Monmouth University, which is right near Asbury Park, which is where the festival was. So she was going to college there. So I, I like pulled all these favors with those guys and they got me in. Mm. And I was like, guess what, babe? Like, we're going, 
you know, I got you the tickets. I got us the tickets. It's going to be awesome. And I remember we had a great time for about a day and a half. And on the second day, at Asbury Park in the convention center, it was like tiered stadium style seating. Right, right. So I was like, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. And I walked up to it, like a couple rows up, you know, and lit a cigarette because you could, people would go smoke in the stands, you know? Right. And I picked her out of the crowd and I watched this dude, like, just walked up to her and they just started making out. Oh my gosh. So I was like, Oh my god. That's gosh. heartbreaking. Like this was like my first love. You what know? was the what was the band playing? Oh, uh Story of the Year was oh. about to go on. Okay. So it was like between the break. Uh I know it was Story of the Year who was about to play. A very emo moment. Right. And I really love that stuff. You know me. I love pop up. Totally. Like love the post hardcore stuff. I love yeah. bands like Story of the Year. Right. You know, like so I was excited for it. We were having a great time, and I saw that this dude, they just started making out. And I was just so, like, enraged. I was pissed. I was, like, sad. I was heartbroken. And I just stormed out. Did she know him? Uh, later found out, yeah, they were, like, hooking up at college and stuff. Dude, and you'd gotten her in. Yeah, so, so like I'd done this really nice thing I thought for her, you know, and like and for the relationship to strengthen the bond, you know. Oh man! So it really like kind of it kind of hurt, and it got worse after that too. You like, told me more stories, yeah. Like, but anyway, yeah. so the end result is I was I was pissed, so I left the concert. I just left her there. I just walked out, mm-hmm. and there were two outdoor stages, and as I walked by. Uh, there was like a group of maybe 100, 200 people that were just like chanting, bouncing souls, bouncing souls. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my gosh, like bouncing souls are about to play. Yeah. And right as like I realized that, they come on stage and Max Weinberg is playing drums. For oh, them. wow. Conan O'Brien drummer. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Springsteen drummer. Right. You know, is playing drums for them. And I'm one of like maybe 150, 200 people that knew this show was happening because Story of the Year was about to play. Right, right. And oh. so they're outside. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. And I, I just like watched it for like 40 minutes, you know, or 30 minutes rather. Just watched their entire set. It was amazing. But it just calmed me. You know, mm-hmm. and that's when I really knew I was like, wow, like this is what I'm here for. If that like music is powerful, man, because sure. I was like so heartbroken. Like I was just crying, like as I was walking to my car. Mm-hmm. So I get in my car, my Mazda 6. Uh-huh. This has a point, I swear. <laughs> and I'm pissed. And I get in the car and I'm on the Garden State Parkway. Uh-huh. And it was 55 mile an hour zone. I just start thinking about things while I'm like driving home. I was like, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she did this, you know, and I'm just getting pissed. And I just put the pedals to the floor and just was doing like over a hundred, well over a hundred. Oh, jeez. Next thing I know. New Jersey's finest. New Jersey's finest. <laughs> in the rear view. Are in the rear view. Oh no. And their lights are on and they pull me over. And basically I was doing 137. <laughs> Which is just ridiculously fast. And yeah, so it turned out to be 
you know, felony that I got out of eventually. I got it reduced, but the, what did they reduce it to? Uh, reckless driving uh-huh. and uh, um, some ca- some like specific county violation. I forget what it is, but basically I lost my license for like a year and I couldn't own a high performance vehicle for the next seven, seven years, seven years. So I had this Mazda six, which was all souped up and it was like, it was a high performance engine, you know? Right. Right. So I had to get rid of it. But because I was like starting to explore bands and stuff, I was like, I need a van. We got to get a van so we can tour. Like the thought of touring didn't even like wasn't even a possibility at that time. I just thought like, oh well, you can't tour if you don't have a band, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like put two and two together here, man. Like, where are we gonna go? Where's our gear gonna go? We need a band. Gotta have a band, right? So I was like doing my van research, and I don't know why, but like researching vans and trailers, like it just gave me like happiness. I was like, yes, and I right. finally found out about these conversion vans, like the old wheel, you know, senior wheelchair vans. Right. And it combines a van and like a leisure and it's the best of both worlds. So I found one. You say a wheelchair van? Yeah. Like, you you know, put a wheelchair. Yeah. Like a Sheridan hotel airport shuttle, you know what I'm, you know, like, so I realized that you could have the space and the versatility of a van, uh-huh. but it could also be a luxury vehicle, right. you know, with like blinds that come down and a, a TV, TV that's mounted yeah. and a bed that electronically folds in like, yeah. you know, so I was, was like, tight. so I got a van, I found a van. What was, so what was your, was your trade in value from the uh, Mazda 6 more than the van? Yeah. So you made some money? Uh, no, I think it was an even swap. Okay. Yeah. But it was awesome because I had a van and, and it was just ridiculous looking, dude. I had the like my everyday <laughs> driver was this giant van, right? Like going right. to 7 Eleven, performing like a 22 point turn to get out of the <laughs> parking lot, you know? <laughs> like it was just ridiculous. It was a beast, but it upped my value as a musician by like a million percent, sure. Because there's not a lot of great drummers and no, and there's n- People, not a lot of band members have their own transportation. Yeah. So you could tour with anyone. Right. So you and I meeting was almost fate because you had a great opportunity and a great platform. Right. And you needed, you know, musician and transportation. Right. And like, and we I've, became friends. Yeah. And too. like, you're, yeah. we're both like able to be friends and we didn't like hate each other. There's never been a moment where I've been like truly mad at you. Right. I can honestly say that. Same. Right. You know, and so it just like it worked. And then other people would be like, oh, dude, you have a van and you play drums like that's perfect. You know, so I realized that like bundling all these things that people need was right. Like it was epic. It was (laughs) getting the van was the best thing that ever happened. Better than the Mazda 6. A hundred percent. So so in a way, God, so skate and surf was the jump off. Yeah. What year was this? Oh, four. Was that the year I played? Oh, four. Yeah, we I played it too. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. This was not 04. This was 05. After. Okay. 05. So 04 you played with 04 the other I band. played with a ska band. Right. That Joe was in too. That's crazy. Yeah. So you had played in a band with Rob called Clark Street, which we talked about. Yeah. And that's why Rob recommended you because you eventually auditioned for MC Lars. And what was our first big tour? Was it was it it was like all those maybe those shows we played 
summer of 07 or 06 where we went up and played the MTV Canada stuff. Yeah, so my first three shows with you were one was headlining the, a, a <laughs> hippie festival called Grassroots. Right. And that was like 2,000, 3,000 maybe people, right? right? It was huge. Yeah, it was big. That was my first experience like in a real professional like working musician role you know right that was a great show and i remember there was like somebody giving massages backstage and like i was just like whoa <laughs> like we drove <laughs> my band right up back to it yeah like, I it was that. awesome when steve and, was with us yeah steve was with us who was the guy who sings in signing emo yeah so we just you know it was amazing it was like my dreams coming true as was I rob have. with us i think so yeah right yeah and then the next show huh. was i think MTV Canada, right? Yeah, I think it was or one of the early shows. Or it was Albany Catch Twenty Two? Did you play that show? I don't know, dude. I just remember it was a string of like amazing shows, but, and it scared the hell out of me. So we were backstage at the MTV thing, and you were giving me a massage just because oh you're being nice. Gosh. And the guys from Corn walk by, and they go, "Oh, we want to be in that room with you guys. What's up, right? You remember that? Yeah. And then uh, what's it? Fieldy? Is that his name? Yeah. He comes in like behind Jonathan Davis and he like asked for our cinnamon buns. They had like put like a pastry thing on the table. Remember that? Right. And he like, he's like, you, you all going to eat those cinnamon buns? And, he, and we were like, no, man. Like, and he just like grabbed them with his hand. Do you remember that? He, Maybe like, I was setting up. I, really I don't know, him. dude. It was incredible though. I was also, like, also we're oh meeting corn. Gosh, yeah. Like, corn is there. <laughs> and then wasn't Nick Cannon there somewhere or something? If he was, I, we, I don't think we met him. Yeah, but, I mean, I just remember that being like, oh, my God. Well, yeah, I threw you to the wolves in that, like, I was like, well, this dude, he's serious. He's a good drummer. He cares. And just over the years, you got more tasteful and refined. And early on, you know, like, we, Rob and I talked about this. We'd play the full track with all the vocals, and you'd kind of drum along. But we figured yeah. out the balance of click track versus, like, paring things down. And then, then eventually – all three warp tours that I ever did, you played every show with me and you never <laughs> let me down on stage. And those were great shows. We played a lot of shows, man. What the, are you up to now though? Well, now I've taken a break from touring. Yeah. And I I guess you could say I kind of found another passion that I'm able to like kind of jump into, which is teaching sales. So I'm a sales trainer and uh it, it's weird man like touring allowed me to to be confident enough and like gave me experiences throughout the entire world that i can use in sales hmm. you know like for instance if i'm selling in florida hey where are you from originally you know really? yeah so if they say you know like oh i'm from poughkeepsie new york i'm like oh cool you know the chance theater right what about astro's pizza right next door is awesome right or oh yeah we're from you know like rochester sioux falls south dakota and i'm like yeah. oh cool so you know aces right you know That's cool. <laughs> and and it's this instant like rapport builder uh -huh. you know so that and also dude slinging merch like at warp tours we used to wake up ourselves and we did warped two people, man. I know. For two two summers. years. It was just you and me. That's huge, man. Yeah, that is that wasn't that wasn't easy. Two people, like no oh. TM, no like stage help, no merch help, nothing. We just we were <laughs> spoiled on tour bus, but sure. But it was like warp tour is exhausting that you have to get up early and 
with two people, you have to, we had to coordinate setting up the tent, playing, getting food, all the promotion, which we were very heavy about, putting up flyers. Yeah, and you know what was cool is that I remember we said like, okay, so what we're gonna do merch? Let's alternate dates. And on setting up yeah i was cool. remember that happened for a while so some days you'd set up some days i would yeah or i thought we alternated but yeah no we did i mean you definitely probably did it more than i did well the but. thing about warp tour is that those of you listening who have done it know this that setting up merch is an ordeal because you have to have the best slot next to your stage but the people it's very chaotic because the people in charge of the merch organization will come by and be like nope this line of 20 tents can't be here. This is where the emergency like ambulances need to drive through. Right. So they'll move 20 tents. So you'll have to scramble to find the best spot. And if you're not near your stage, it's hard for fans to find your merch. So if you're not there waiting for the guy to up until 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock when it opens, you could have to move across the entire festival ground. So it's very stressful because not only do you have to move a tent, you'll have to move 10 bins. It's hectic. So with two people... I don't know. It just we were like definitely yeah. on our texting and like someone have to get breakfast and Well, I remember what was awesome and thank you again for this. I remember being miserable some days and then you would just come walking out of the sunlight like into the tent with like this huge breakfast spread like you know like donuts and oatmeals and just right, pastries right. and like egg sandwiches <laughs> like it was awesome you were like a hero yeah you coffee every day so i mean we often i do that you'd set up you'd start setting up the shirts and i'd wait in the breakfast line and the meals at warp tour this is getting into the minutia but like a lot of warp tour is waiting in line to get fed breakfast the, the breakfast lines were shorter because everyone was so busy yeah and it was hectic and, and they were everybody was awesome so like yeah you know, you They'd could just up. walk up and grab a bunch of food, bring it back to your tent, you know, and it was it was really cool, man. But anyway, yeah. the fact that we've done just some warp tours alone, man, we've that's like over almost 150 shows probably. Just right? Tour. Yeah, man. Yeah. We, and then lots of shows with MC Chris, lots of we did the UK stuff with him and Weird Science. And that was cool because Josh Shepard from Coheed was always like a big influence on you as a drummer. And now you're playing drums with him as a rapper. Yeah, that's that still blows my mind. Man. That's tight. Like, I remember I was telling you tonight, I remember being in my room, sitting in my room watching Coheed DVDs and like watching Josh play, just being like, oh my gosh, like beast. that's the height. You yeah. know, that's what I'm after. Yeah, and then to have everything fall into place the way it has, and to be able to call Josh a friend now is like it's insane. And that he really <laughs> respects you as a drummer, and he, he's he gotten you other me. gigs. Yeah, he got me other gigs playing with like you know other bands, but he he taught me a lot about how to play the drums. I'll never forget we were at Warp Tour watching a band play, and I'm not going to say the name of the band, but the drummer was just doing these crazy unbelievable fills you know it just like it was so flashy but it sounded really cool and i just like kind of hit josh i was like yo this dude is tearing it up man it's uh -huh. awesome uh -huh. and josh just casually looks at me and goes dude sucks and i was like what do you mean he sucks dude like did you see that stick twirl he's like yeah but now i want you to listen to what he's doing he can't even play a beat uh -huh. and i listened to it and there wasn't 
a, a solid measure of just beat ever. It was always some flashy film. And he just said to me right there, I remember it was like an aerial perspective. It was really weird, like ambience when he said this, but he goes, uh. less is more, dude. Right. If you're a good drummer, you're tasteful. Uh-huh. You know what to play, when to play, and how much to play. And and a lot of warp tour is the bands that get big. It's a lot of style over substance. You look cool. Alternative mm-hmm. press likes your hair that month, so right. you're you're headlining. Right. And but Josh is a true music, like right. a true musician, and to have just to be in this situation where him and I are standing together, and he's telling me how to right. be a better drummer. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I, like we—he was playing Warped Tour, but so was I. Right. You know, like that was—that blew my mind. I know, and not only that, you were drumming for his rap project. Yeah, I got to share a stage with him, nonetheless. Yeah. You know, and so, like I remember before at sound checks, he would grab the kit, like jump on the drums, and just play this most amazing beat. And everyone and, would, be like, like, would be like, "Whoa, what the <laughs> heck? This dude is insane!" And then I'd have to like get on and do the show, and I was like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> Josh is a magical person, and I want to do an episode with him. And we've been planning on doing it. And um, yeah, it's all, yeah. it's all very, it's amazing. The the things that music brings your life when you like dedicate your life to it and are fortunate enough to have opportunities and friends who can help you capitalize on that opportunities. There's nothing like it, and that's why it's been fun this summer. Get practicing for the show with Big D in the kids' table, and then the Warp Tour Atlantic City. We're gonna do it's gonna it's like today at rehearsal it was. Felt good, man, because I do so much with just a laptop. But to have you, Rob, and Mike, and all the tasteful stuff you guys are playing, it was like emotional and like really fun. It was like, ah, this is fun. It was it was really fun to get back to that, man. Like I couldn't even lift my arms by the end of it. You know, like, what, I was just having hours, a good, four hours. I don't I don't know, but I was just having a good time playing with you guys, and we haven't played with Rob. In, oh my gosh, it's been forever. Rob's a beast. Ten years. Yeah, Rob's such an amazing like aspect of the show. And singer. When we can, oh, he's singing, yeah, yeah, all this stuff, and he's playing these intricate bass parts at the same time. It's sick. And the mic's ripping it. Like It's just a cool vibe to kind of come back to. We played together ten years ago. All of us, yeah. yeah. And I hope we can do more, because it's like, I consider this lineup the best it sounded. And it's cool that we're doing now, a lot of the set is just without the tracks like you just holding it down with the rhythm and no samples we figured a way to recreate without the tracks and hip-hop now is so we were talking about this it's so sample based it's so it's so like much auto-tune and and not that it's bad but there's kind of like something progressive about having a timeless setup where it's just acoustic instruments rage against the machine style like yeah it's fun and I, i feel like i can rap better i can sing some of the parts better and it's like yeah man i just as millennial nostalgia continues to be like a, a real market, I hope that people will continue to want to see us and hope we can do more band stuff. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Millennial nostalgia, that's great. That's the that's it really the is, end. dude. Like, yeah. the only music that really a lot of people are listening to now is music that they're finding again, right? Or, you know, like genres that they used to love that they want to listen to again. The 10 year you know? reunions of. Yeah, man. Like, you know, bands are bigger now off their older stuff Bowling than they soup. ever were. Yeah. Simple like, plan. Yeah. Coheed and Cambria, like right. Taking Back Sunday. Like, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it because I love that music. So I'm like, yes, finally, it's back again. Like, well, I think you know what it's like. I mean, not to get very political, but it's a time when before, like, truth and consensus and art was so fragmented and so, like, 
you know, algorithmic. And it was just like, a, it's, it's reminds us of a happier time in the world. And I think it's fun to be like a inroad for that, you know, even though some of this stuff, like download the song and some of my older stuff predicted the changes. It's, <laughs> yeah, it it, it's fun to, it's fun to play with you guys. And I can't wait for the show tomorrow. And this podcast way air after it, but I'll talk about the, how the show went, which I know is awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you have good things to say, but yeah, dude, I mean, I'm just so tired today. Like you I flew was in uh, from Tampa I this flew morning. in from Tampa this morning, got picked up at the airport straight to rehearse. I know you're and a trooper, the, you know, but I'm just like tired because I've been working so much too. So yeah, I'm a little out of it, but this has been a great conversation. It's, it's so fun to see you guys again, you know, I like know. I, at the wedding, like yeah, it was like here. the first time in forever and it just felt so good, you know, I, know. Like, I love you, man. I, I really you, do. Johnny. Seen the JTL. world together. We, we have. really have. We have. We have a lot of stories and we only touched on a few, but maybe we'll do another episode sometime. Yeah, man. Let's chat. What's up with your Twitter? JTL baby? No, nah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Are you I nuked do. your social media? Kind of. Yeah. Why? It was distracting, man. It yeah. was distracting as all hell. Like when I'm, I, I really got into my mind that I needed to focus on something other than trying to be financially stable playing drums and bands. Mm -hmm. I needed something else. So I dove into this sales thing and I realized that I, I was sitting at my desk when I should be like looking for new customers or something. I should be motivating myself. But instead I'm scrolling through all this music stuff, uh, you know, like seeing all my friends doing awesome stuff and like, you which know. is feel FOMO right there. Yeah, it's FOMO. But then, like you know, I fall. I love fishing and boats, and I'm just like you know digressing into the depths of the internet with like <laughs> you know just crap when I should be focusing. We didn't on even talk about that. Your him. your whole talent and world of all your fishing stories. Oh, we got. Yeah. Can we end with we got to end with the whale story? Okay, that that's the most incredible thing that I think we've ever shared. Yeah, I agree. And it was really weird because the company that shared it with us was a little off. <laughs> like, it's not, it wasn't. What, you mean the yeah. beats we were listening to? Or our it, homie who was with us? Both. Right. It was a weird moment. Well, I don't want to, I interjected your story. No, no, no. So, no, that's actually great because that adds a perfect ambience to this. I'll you brought the yeah. CD of your rapper friend. A friend of mine who was doing like hype, this white kid who was doing like very hyphy, over the top gangster kind of music but it was kind of tight it it was like a a crummier yellow wolf before Free its time wolf. yeah right, right. like it that's how i would describe yeah it was, it, i actually enjoyed it after like the 25th time listening to the cd so we go out in my boat but can i tell the story but, before yeah, yeah, yeah so i had it was a weird time because i just had a meeting where my manager was like my former manager was like yeah we're, we're, we're dropping you we're not able to help you with the record. Good luck. <laughs> Peace. And I was like, great. Well, Robot Kills is almost done. What am I going to do? Like these, these people had held my hand from the beginning. That day is the day I first, Weird Al and I first talked on the phone about doing the accordion stuff. And I was like, I don't, I want to still release these songs. They're great. I have this great feature. And I was feeling like, God, like it was like this, this cataclysmic connection of felt like everything was over, but also there was a whole new beginning. So we went up to Cape Cod mm -hmm. and borrowed your family's boat. It was like it was like winter or yeah, spring. It was like no, it was February. Yeah, man. it must have been. You know, it was cold. It was I remember like that. Like we sh we shouldn't have been on a boat. 
probably. Not safe. Yeah, in the Atlanta and Clay. It was, you know, it was kind of dumb. So, okay, now I pass the mic to you. All right, so you bring this CD of this, like, what was his name? Oh, we don't have to say it. Whatever it was. Yeah, so he brings this, like, crunk thing, and we're blasting it. We're the, we're, we drive my parents' boat out to the middle of the bay. Nobody's out. Like, it's freezing. Like, it, I don't know. Nobody's around. And we're banging on the boat along with the rhythm and of this. Yeah, street. so we're, like, banging on the bottom of the boat with the bass in the, yeah. you know. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, how close was it, man? Like, I mean, it must have been 10, 15 feet. Maybe even closer. Maybe. Yeah. Right? It was close enough to, like, really get a good look. But this whale, this humpback whale breached like 10 feet, 15 yeah. feet from the boat. And it's giant eyeball just looked at us and he gave us like this look. And the eyeball was like, it was the size of a volleyball, man. Like, well, yeah. Or I would say it was the size of like a big chair. It was huge, dude. Like it was huge. And this I, whale was massive. And what was crazy about it is that it felt like he was looking at us for like a good 30 seconds he was chilling watching us and, yeah and he was right by the boat i think it w- it was like giving us approval like everything's gonna be all right like mm-hmm. i don't know man it was a weird like that was awesome that was one of the most mystical things and look what happened dude every 10 years later yeah 12, look where you're at you're still doing it. i know <laughs> you're still you've thanks whale like you know <laughs> well it's ironic that yeah you could say it's ironic that one of the Singles from The Graduate was Ahab, which was based on a true story of a ship that left from Nantucket. We're right off the coast of Cape Cod near Nantucket. Yep. And here's this whale <laughs> saying, what's up? Signing off. Signing like, off. Just being like, yo. It's all good. I'm, I'm with you. Keep it you moving. Know, just keep doing your thing, bro. And you have a great day. I'm a giant whale. Like, okay. How many humpbacks say that to people? You know, like how much more motivation do you need? Right, right. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, the plot of Moby Dick is like, you can look into that whale's eye and him not responding either means the universe doesn't care and is apathetic or the universe is at peace with your anonymous journey. And it's like, well, we looked into that. And I remember you <laughs> and I both, we were like banging on the boat. We both like literally jumped back and almost yeah. fell over. We're like, oh, jeez. Yeah. Because the whale, the whale could have breached under the boat. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't going to, but it could have predicted us. Dude, it sprayed its giant blowhole, like yep. this, and it was loud, dude. Like, it, it could have missed at us with the blowhole. That's how close could it was. Like, it was loud and it was fr- terrifying. Yeah. Because the water was calm. Well, and, and we were, that was what's so crazy. We were obviously like in the middle. There was nothing happening, and here's this loud. He's <laughs> never heard like people banging on a boat to Bay Area rap in the middle of the bay, and so, <laughs> so the, the whale's like, "What are you fools doing?" Like almost like, "Keep it down, I'm sleeping." Yeah. And then he dipped down, and we were like, "Let's." We were out for a few minutes. We're like, "Let's go back." Yeah, he might come and not be so friendly next time. It was weird that you and I were on the same side of the boat when we fell backwards. Yeah, I know. and it happened to be the same side of the boat the whale breached on. Right, and we both saw it at the same time. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, what nature's a, beautiful. What a great, great thing. That was awesome. John Longley. So I was gonna say, where can people follow you? But are you're on what Facebook? I'm on Facebook, man. But so yeah, you probably don't add just random people, right? Uh, no, not really. Okay, but you know, I don't know. 
keep it moving. Yeah, I'll probably start an Instagram. I don't know, man. Like, come see a show. Yeah, come, that's come exactly. hang out. Come, come see John with his many bands. You've been playing with Maylene, right? Been playing with Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, but that's kind of on the back burner for now. Yeah. So while Dallas recovers, the singer. Thanks, John. I love you, dog. I love you too, buddy. Peace. Your house is clean. Now it is. Last thing, what did you think when I named the song your actual address? Because that is the actual address. Yeah, and you didn't spell my name differently in the lyrics. Well, I put a H, J-O-H-N. Is it J-O-H-N? Yeah. All right, then that's cool. <laughs> I didn't say the town. Should we say the town? Nah. Should we? What What a great breaking news. Can we? I'm not going to unless you want to. Um, or should we keep it a secret? Yeah, it's a secret, it's man. It's a secret. All right, peace. Peace. Yeah. John. Yo, I'm gonna put this song about your house on the album. Is that cool? Uh, yeah, I just don't have any like stalkers knowing my name, like my full name. You think it's cool? We'll keep it on the DL. We're gonna spell it in the lyrics differently than it is. All right, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. In New Jersey. My drummer has a messy house, and that is what this song's about. As I write these rhymes, I'm starting to doubt. This kid will never take the garbage out. His living room is full of cans. The ping pong table barely stands. I guess he's too busy with other demands, like GameCube and listening to pop punk bands. This pizza box is acting in the living room. No mops, no brooms, and no vacuums. Open the fridge, and you might see half a Mr. Pib and some moldy cheese. Upstairs, the toilet barely works. That's just one of the many perks. Last time, it took me half an hour to figure out how to work his upstairs shower. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. This house makes me think about all the things in life you can live without. Like internet pens, tables and chairs. There's mail stacked randomly on the stairs. The bathroom door's falling off. I went to the attic and started to cough. But every time a tour rolls by, you know we'll stay at Laurel Drive. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. John Thatcher Longley, clean up your house. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. My drummer has the messiest house in New Jersey. I mean, does it does it make you mad at all? No, no, I think it's hilarious. All right, cool. I just wanted to make sure it was cool. Drummer, it's a messy house. That 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 is is what what this song's about. Is that song funny? Is it cruel? After hearing the history, you decide. John has a great sense of humor about it, and great drummer. Can't wait to tour with him more. Love him to death. Thank you, John. Next week, we got Mike Russo. My bass player slash guitarist slash tour manager who's co-written a lot of songs with me. Uh, he's a dude from Erie, Pennsylvania, who ended up working in upstate New York, 
booking, uh, doing college bookings for his company called Concert Ideas. We met because he heard of me. He was working for us, booking us college shows. And then eventually he became my tour manager, touring guitarist. He talks about how he helped Kay Flay get her management deal, which helped her get signed. We talk about our early years touring. We talk about the MC Chris years. We talk about Warp Tour. Really cool. Mike's a very sensitive, beautiful person. He's not sensitive in a bad way. He's just very deep and open with his emotions. You know, you meet a lot of people in the music industry, some good, some bad. Mike is a winner. I love him to death. So check that out next week on the MC Lars Podcast. Hope you all having a good summer. Check out that Patreon flavor. Oh, yeah, last thing. I'm doing a thing where if you're a Patreon supporter, if you want to call and tell an MC Lars story to the Google Voice number, you'll get a free T-shirt. So a story about a favorite song, a show, something. I just thought it'd be cool. I'm going to post that number on Patreon. You can call, and every week we'll have a winner who's got the best story. And he or she or they will get a shirt. Okay, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks for being on the episode. Bye.